The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Round the Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation like the intro says. So, check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos, online, sportsethos.com. Where you're looking for your fantasy basketball, betting tips, advice, tricks, all of that. Regular NBA coverage, including this show by, you know, yours truly, baseball football you want it they have it so check them out one more time on twitter at sports ethos online sportsethos.com also listeners please while you're there take a moment to follow at ethos fantasy bk on twitter the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth yeah i said it get all your nba news in one handy twitter feed it is faster than competition and it provides more analysis too that's right one more time at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Follow now. Day is Thursday, right? The week's kind of flying by. It's been such a blur. Yeah, Thursday the 21st. We are almost done with the end of April. Crazy as it is to believe that. Um, well into the NBA full swing playoffs, so we're going to dive in now. We had a couple of fun games. Um, my predictions, if y'all remember, were mostly off. I went one for three. Uh, when I was talking about who would come out victorious between the Celtics and the Nets, the 76ers and the Raptors, and of course the Bulls and the Bucks. So let's start with the Bulls and the Bucks because that game was the most interesting to me. Chicago pulls out the win 114-110 to tie the series heading back to Chi-Town. After shooting just 6-for-25 in the Bulls' Game 1 loss, DeMar DeRozan made sure that that did not happen twice and he led the way in a big way. 41 points in what I would say is an old school kind of game. But really I'm just going to call the DeMar DeRozan special. Why? 40 points on 50% or better from shooting from the field. With not a 3 to be seen. Or attempted. 41 points on 16 of 31 shooting for DeRozan. He also pulled down 7 rebounds. Had 4 assists, 2 blocks, and 1 steal. And he was aggressive all evening, ladies and gentlemen. He kept going at it. He was relentless, getting to his spots, making sure that he manufactured offense consistently from the mid-post area. When he was able to get all the way to the rim, he got all the way to the rim. Had to take a deeper two? Okay, he took a deeper two. But it didn't really matter who was sticking him. It didn't matter the defensive coverage. He was going to get his. He had 16 points on 8 of 9 shooting with Giannis Nakumpo on him. Think about that. Giannis Nakumpo 6'11". DeMar DeRozan 6'6", 6'7". Didn't matter. Didn't matter. DeRozan kept finding his spots and and knocking them down from there. Against, yes, a former Defensive Player of the Year and two-time MVP. Didn't matter. Mano y mano, let's go. And, again, I find even more admiration now because it's not like he's stretching out from three. Now we get in, in, in the grimy post. Everybody down there. We get right into the thick of it. Let's go. It was exciting. Um... 
This is a guy who has mastered the mid-range game, vintage performance. But I don't even want to say vintage. This dude's been doing it all season. So it's just vintage in the style of play that he employs, you know? But it's fun to see. Throwback. That type of game. Looks like I was watching the game from 1996 or something with Mitch Richmond. Eh, Mitch shot some threes. I don't know. Anyways, really, really fun. Um, after, um, in, after the game on Inside the NBA, uh, DeRozan told um, the cast that he's trying to master that mid-range game, that he's trying to keep the two-pointer alive. Um, I think he's done all that and then some, but still very funny. Also, there's a little bit of history. Shout out to StatMuse for this. He added his name, DeRozan, to the Chicago record books because he has now become just the fifth Bulls player in history to record a 40-point game in the playoffs. Just the fifth. I mean, to be fair, when I think of the Bulls, what, everyone goes to Jordan, right? Shout out to Bo Estes. It always goes back to MJ. Um, that's that's where my mind goes when I think of the Bulls. But I would think, okay, 94? Like, without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen surely was going off, right? And then even early 2000s. I don't know. I think they were kind of trash out here. But Jalen Rose was a pretty good scorer. I'm trying to think of other candidates outside of Jordan that would come up for, you know, scoring 40 points in a playoff game for Chicago. Obviously, Derrick Rose, maybe um, Andreas Nocioni. I think I said that right. Definitely Ben Gordon. You know, I didn't know the list, but looking at it, 40 points in a playoff game. You have Michael Jordan, of course, who had done it 40 of 38 different times. So, I mean, you sleep, you wake up, Michael scores 40 in a playoff game, right? Derrick Rose did it exactly one time. Ben Gordon did it exactly one time. And then one other guy did it as well, who you may not know, Flynn Robinson. Uh, late great Flynn Robinson, who played part of his career in Chicago. Point guard, shooting guard, uh, over 543 games, averaged 14 points, two rebounds, and three assists, playing from 1966 to 1974. He also did it for Chicago in the three years he spent there. Or two years he spent there, rather. So, that was pretty wild. Like, the list is very short. I have a feeling DeMar DeRozan is going to do it one more time this series. I think he might have to. He might have to. I, I don't know. And it's been over a decade since another 40-point game was done because when Derrick Rose did his, was way back in his MVP season back in 2011. And then, of course, before that, we look at Jordan back in 98 NBA Finals. I was like... Less than five, I'll just say that. So now, I mean, it wasn't just DeRozan, you know. He definitely led the way. But you had 24 points from Nikola Vucevic, who responded in a major way, made good um, reads off the short roll, knocked down his long jumpers in the threes, 10 of 18 from the field, 4 of 8 from three, also had 13 rebounds as well. You had 20 points from Zach Levine, who was 3 of 4 from three, a nice supporting uh, uh, piece to DeRozan being able to knock his shots from the weak side, which, you know, you have all this attention on DeRozan, somebody is going to benefit from that, and, and Zach Levine was one of the beneficiaries there. You had 10 points from Patrick Williams, 9 rebounds, great defense. Alex Caruso, same thing, 9 points, 10 assists, great defense as well. Not a lot of scoring from your bench, so you're really looking at DeRozan for a lot of that, but that's what DeRozan does, right? And he had the the perfect team around him most of the year, of course, but especially in game to, to respond and try to keep Milwaukee at bay. And Milwaukee, man, they they get they went after it. 
I mean, I thought that the Bulls played half-decent defense on Giannis. Just trying to form a wall, stay in between him and the basket, trying to foul, use verticality as much as possible, try to rip him if he gets the ball down low, force him into a three, you know, force him into outside jumpers, not trying to make him live on the free throw line. That's what the, the blue to me. That, that made sense. And even then, it really didn't matter. Giannis finished with 33 points, 18 rebounds, 9 assists, 2 blocks, a steal, 11-20 from the field, 11-18 from the free throw line, which isn't great, but for Giannis, it's all right. He didn't make his threes, but he only took two, so for the most part, he was getting right where he wanted to go. That was that was the news there. Um, 25 points from Brook Lopez, who had a very good game. 25, six rebounds, knocked down some threes. You had uh, 18 points for Chris Middleton, although he unfortunately did leave um, in that fourth quarter uh, having a sprained MR- MCL. And so I have an MRI later on today. And this MRI, uh, according to Roach, will have a clear indication on the severity of the MCL strain and a possible timeline for a turn. Um, he just kind of fell. And it was awkward. You could kind of see kind of buckled um, on a defensive possession uh, where the Bucks were trying to grab a rebound. And then he walked and, and literally went straight to the locker room. So hopefully, you know, these MCLs, definitely in a couple weeks, you would think. Um, hopefully no more serious than that. It's unfortunate for him because he's really playing well. And, I mean, you don't want to see injury on anybody at any point, well or not, in terms of how they play. So it's unfortunate in that respect, but we really hope that there is a quick and and safe return for Middleton. So with that, the series now shifts back over to Chicago for games three and four. Um, With the Bucks holding home court advantage in game five, then, of course, we know if there was a game seven, it would be in Milwaukee. But now we have a series. Road team wins, right? That's what they said. And I, I definitely think the Bulls could get a game in Chicago. Will it be easy? No, this game wasn't easy, you know? It took 41 points, great defense, and the Bucks not being able to fully sustain any of their comebacks for Chicago to win. But they showed the type of intestinal fortitude that you want to see. They showed the type of grit from a playoff team that has struggled to beat teams that are better than them. They took the punches Milwaukee kept giving them, and they kept on going. And a lot of that was because they came off to a fast start in that first quarter, established a, a tempo to the game, and, and sustained that even when Milwaukee came back in quick bursts. So, no, that, that's that's how Chicago at least has a chance in this game, um, not in this game, in the series. And then if they're able to take advantage of, hey, as much as you hate to say it, like, okay, how are the Bucks going to, who's going to step up for Milwaukee in the meantime? while Chris Middleton is, is getting better, you know? And and can the Bulls do anything to flummox um, Milwaukee, specifically Giannis, on that end? His passing is so much better. Um, the way he gets to the rim obviously can't be contained. And if his jump shot's going down, it's curtains, right? But what can you do as a defensive unit? What schemes can Billy Donovan continue to use to junk up the game a little bit and make it harder for Giannis, specifically? That That's kind of the main question I have there. But moving on from there... Let's talk uh, Brooklyn and Boston. Boston is up two games to zero over Brooklyn after a 114-107 victory. The Celtics storm back from 17 down to beat Brooklyn. Again, like, that's wild. I mean, it's great, but that, let's, let's be real. That, that's I, I didn't see it coming. I'll just say that. Um, the defense from Boston is the name of this game. It really is. I mean, game one, 
the Celtics weren't able to do a darn thing to stop Kyrie, but they were able to swarm Kevin Durant, make it tough for him to put the ball on the floor, make it tough for him to convert shots, and he looked totally uncharacteristically uncomfortable during that during game one. Kyrie, you know, was still going off. The only thing that could stop Kyrie were the Boston fans. Well, guess what? In game two, Boston defense said, I bet. They stepped up on both ends, on both players. I mean, it was insane. Um, let's start with Boston. Jalen Brown had 22 points, uh, 10 in the fourth quarter uh, for the Celtics' comeback um, last night. Uh, Jason Tatum added 19 points for Boston. Uh, held Durant without a basket in the whole second half. Durant actually went 0 for 10 in the second half, which is insane. Al Horford chipped in as well with 16 points. Daniel Tice had 15. And Peyton Pritchard not only scored 8, 10, but 8 of them in the fourth quarter. Talk about somebody coming up clutch who you did not really count on, unless you were a big Peyton Pritchard fan, fan or you thought he was the answer. Um, I'm neither, so I, I, I was caught slipping. But great game by Pritchard as well. Um, Durant finished with 27 points, but yeah, he was nowhere near himself. Four of 17. Like, we've heard this before. That's concert dates. That I love Russell Westbrook. That's maybe a Russell Westbrook game in a half. Just kidding. I Like, that's not great. You know, Irving, just 10 points. And guess what? On 4 of 13 shooting. Like, these guys were tough. Boston's defense is relentless. And Durant's after the game. They're doing a good job trying to cuff my scoring, limit my shot making. It's on me to figure it out. I mean, yes, at the end of the day, it is going to be on Durant. But, like, let's let's give some credit where credit is due to the defense of the Boston Celtics. They're really making it tough, putting bodies on him, being physical throughout, being physical with him off the ball, when he puts the ball on the deck, crowding his dribble, making him uncomfortable with that. He's a decent dribbler already, but, you know, has kind of a high dribble. I mean, the dude is 6'11", six, six, foot, right? Get under him and really make him feel you as a defense. And that's what Boston has been doing. And I've never seen Kevin Durant look so out of sorts on the basketball court. I mean, you always say, okay, make play- players uncomfortable as you can. Well, you know, KD doesn't really fall into that. Uh, in this one, yeah, he most certainly does. I mean, we'll see how he, uh, Durant and the Nets respond when the series goes back over to Brooklyn for Game 3, but this is showing a clear pattern of, okay, we have lengthy 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", guys who can stay in front, you know, do your best to contest KD's jumper, but get all over him when he puts the ball in the basket. Or puts the ball on the floor, rather. Make sure that when he's going around screens and, and popping up to get clear, that you are putting a body on him, that he's catching the strip. You know, that you were making things tough. You know? Frustrate him with your physicality. Mind you, it was a physical game. I mean, of the 27 points Kevin Durant scored, he was 18-20 from the free throw line. So, he got there. Like, he got fouls called, he got to the basket. But it was incredibly difficult for him to do so. Bruce Brown had a good game, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 8 of 12 from the field. He's been playing so much better offensively over the last month. Andre Drummond, I mean, kind of a non-factor, 4 points, 4 boards. Seth Curry, much better game 2 uh, when he, you know, after he complained in game 1 of not uh, having the ball find him a lot. It found him more in game 2, and, you know, he, he made sure that they counted. 16 points, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, knocked down 4 threes, but that was it. Off the bench, Goran Dragic was your only source of offense. 18 points on 8 of 14, uh, 1 of 5 from 3. We were getting nothing from Patty Mills last night. Uh, Nick Claxton didn't do a whole lot either. 
Boston totally overwhelmed Brooklyn. And it was crazy to see. I mean, not crazy if you believed in Boston's defense, and most did. That's been their claim to fame all season long, right? Specifically the second half of the year. Um, those who uh, took Boston over Brooklyn did it for a reason. You know, the offensive talent you have at the top with Brown and Tatum is something else, and defensively, they can buckle down like few others. But I- I'm not going to lie, I was not on that train. I said, hey, Boston defense is great, but this is Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving we're talking about. Two different beasts. There's levels to this ish. That's what I said. Well, so far, two games in, I'm wrong, but we shall see. We shall see. By the way, what balance from Boston? Seven players in double digits for Boston. All five starters, Tatum, Horford, Tice, Brown, Smart. And off the bench, Grant Williams with 17 points on perfect shooting. 4-4 from the field, 3-3 from three, 6-6 from the free throw line. And then Peyton Pritchard as well. Like, just great. I mean, if Derek White was a little more efficient, he might have had it too. But what what a game. What a game for Boston. Uh, definitely they should hold their heads up high, but series still only halfway through. Uh, Brooklyn needs to come up with some solutions, though, and quickly. Steve Nash needs to find a way to free his two main offensive guys or empower other players to get more open looks. They can cash in and be a vital um, part of the Nets' offensive attack because going down 3-0, yeah, that's pretty much a wrap then. This is this is the bounce-back game for Brooklyn, and I think they're more than capable. They were in it to the very end in Game 1. They were up by 17 here in Game 2. Like, the blueprint has kind of been there. They just haven't been able to close the deal. They're going to need to close the deal if they want to win Game 3. All right, last but not least, Philadelphia and Toronto. Philly is taking out Toronto with the dustpan. They are up three games to zero after their 104-101 win over the Toronto Raptors. That did go into the OT. Wow. What a game, what a game, what a game. Joel Embiid, man. What is that to say? Joel Embiid basically hit the game when he made it three with .8 seconds left in overtime to give the 76ers that victory. Um, as he left, he told Drake that he is coming for that sweep. Drake said, I will be there. And, you know, I say to that, okay, because who cares? <laughs> I just think it's kind of funny. Um, and being at 33 points and 13 rebounds, he helped the 76ers rally from their own 17-point deficit. Uh, James Harden helped with 19 points and 10 assists before he fouled out uh, just before the end of regulation. So he missed all of OT. But you know what? I mean, I don't know. I, I think that you have to give more credit to Embiid. Like, Harden's getting decent-looking numbers. 19 and 10 is, like, okay numbers. But, like, he looks like he's, like, regressed, in my opinion. Like, all season, something's been short to me, whether it's his body and lingering injury or, you know, I mean, he's 32 going on 33. Maybe there's just a little bit of a decline in this game there. But, like, Malachi Flynn stonewalled him a couple times. And all due respect to Malachi Flynn, who I like, but you're James Harden. Like, you're not going to be like, I'm going to the basket. And Malachi Flynn says, no. And then Harden goes, okay. That's not how that's supposed to go. That's not how that works, you know? But fortunately, like I said, you know, Embiid not only was monstrous on his own, but he had help as well. Tyrese Maxey scored 19. Tobias Harris has played so much better over these two games against, or three games now against Toronto. 11 points, 12 boards for the Sixers. The Sixers can get this done on Saturday. They can sweep this bad boy. As Fred Van Vliet said um, after the game, they're playing for their pride now, the Raptors are. Pride is on the line. You're not trying to go out with a dustpan after having such a strong year. Yeah, you've been injured. And yeah, the 76ers aren't a great matchup for you, but uh, got to win at least one, right? 
speaking of um, Van Vliet, uh, not a great game for him. He definitely looks like he's battling something just out of it. Uh, he only had 12 points, uh, 3 of 13 from the field, 2 of 10 from three-point range. In fact, another guy who we thought would step up, I did, who has not stepped up for Toronto was Pascal Siakam, who also had just 12 points, albeit, you know, um, a little more active, I guess, in this floor game. I'm trying to find something nice for Pascal Siakam. Watching the game, he looked like a non-factor. Uh, he took more shots than Van Vliet. He converted more. But what does that mean? Van Vliet shot 23% from the field. Pascal Siakam, 6 of seven, six of 16. That's 37%. It's not great. Five rebounds, four assists. His confidence in the jump shot is just gone with the wind. You know, um, him getting to the basket has been tough. Him finishing on the room has been tough. Him having to defend uh, Joel Embiid at times has been tough. This series has just been tough for Pascal, and it's fine, I think that this series of showing that he is a great number two, and that is fine, not everyone's built to be a number one guy, alright, it's okay, but like right now, there's been the prime opportunity for Pascal Siakam to step up, because we knew going in that Van Vliet's been kind of hampered, it just hasn't happened, and that does nothing to negate how well Pascal Siakam's played all season long, well after his first, uh, let's take out the first month. You know, nothing to diminish his importance to this team and his rapid improvement, all of that. It's just to say that right now, you know, maybe he's not that guy, and that's okay. It's not okay for this series, but just looking at his career, looking at this season in totality, like, it's not the worst thing. But yeah, um, for the Raptors, who actually did lead them, oh, you know, OG and Anobi at 26 points, knocked down some big threes, Gary Trent Jr., you know, still playing through a non-COVID illness. Also, knocked down some big threes and had a playoff career high 24. And Preston Chua had 20 points for the Raptors. Played some decent defense. Missed two free throws. Coming down to finish, that probably would have helped Toronto out. But you know what? As Coach Nurse said, Achua's really worked on his scoring. I'm worked on his shooting, that is, specifically. And you have faith in that. And he's not going to, you know, um, kind of feel bad about that or circle back on that. And so, neither am I. You know? There we are. Uh, Philadelphia. Fun fact, never had a lead in regulation. They finally got a lead with 3.27 left in overtime on a 99-97 uh, score with the shot from Tyrese Maxey. It took all game and then some for them to get the lead. But when they got it, I mean, they did their best to keep it. They lost it almost immediately after. OJ and Nobi hit a three, a um, little bit of the next possession. But then Embiid made a basket with 2.36 left. That made a 101-100 for the Sixers. Um, then Embiid fouled on Anobi, Anobi missed the first, or made the second, but made the first, but missed the second, so now it's tie game, and then of course it sets up for Embiid hitting the dramatic three, which also shout out to uh, Coach Doc Rivers, which I know I rarely ever say, but he did call a key timeout uh, off of a horrific Philadelphia possession that did save the 76ers a little bit by giving them some time to get a shot, a much cleaner look for Embiid than what was going to happen because Precious Achua had actually been playing some really good defense on Joel Embiid, uh, made like a gamble in terms of poking the ball uh, while Embiid's uh, attention was diverted. It worked perfectly. The ball got poked free and the ensuing scramble for it would have just had the Raptors with the ball with some substantial time left on the clock to get a game winner. But Doc Rivers adroitly called timeout, reset everything, Joel Embiid knocks down to three. Mike Breen wasn't on hand, but bang, and the game is what it is. So, yeah, another key for 76ers, they uh, get to the line. 
They have to line less in Game 3. They shot at least 33 throws in each of the first two games of the series, but 15 of 20 from the line in Game 3. So, th- this wasn't this wasn't crazy. But um, it was still effective for Philadelphia to generate a decent portion of their offense from the free throw line. Also, shout out to Gary Trent, man. He's battling a fever, losing almost 8 pounds, and yet he played 45 minutes in Game 3. That's wild to me. Just wild to me. Anyways... Now, um, Saturday, without the services of Matisse Seibel, who is not fully vaccinated, and that's why he couldn't play in Canada, the 76 is the closest thing out, which, wow, like, this is, this is legit, I'm, I'm kind of surprised, I thought that the 76ers-Toronto game would be, or series would be more of a chess match, more of a calculated, kind of grinded out back and forth, and that maybe Brooklyn and Boston would be more of that quick and easy, all right, Brooklyn's going to shock Boston type thing. And uh, surprise, surprise, it looks like the roles have been reversed. The turns have been tabled. So, yeah, fun stuff there. This is why I watch the games. This is why they play the games, because you never quite know, you know? Anyways, looking to tonight's games. We got three of them, per usual, here in the first round. Two on TNT, one on NBA TV. All times Eastern, 7.30 p.m. We got the Memphis Grizzlies playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. Can Minnesota bounce back after being hit in the mouth up in uh, mini with the home crowd? We will find out then. 9 o'clock Eastern, NBA TV. The Dallas Mavericks, who knocked down a franchise had 22 threes. Had career high 41 from Jalen Brunson. They will be playing in Utah now, where Utah is probably kicking themselves for going home with a split, but now do have their home arena to keep them galvanized. Who will come out on top in that game? What's the status of Luka Doncic? That's going to be interesting. And then 10 o'clock, back on TNT, you have the Golden State Warriors and the Denver Nuggets. Golden State has thoroughly outclassed Denver so much, they had Denver wanted to put hands up with themselves. It's been just tragic. Jordan Poole has given the Splash uh, brothers a whole new element. Now they're like, I don't know, liquid death or something. It's pretty crazy. Shout out to Shane Young for that. Um, will Denver respond? Are they going to play with some pride? Who's going to step up? aside from Nikola Jokic. Because right now, there hasn't been any uh, worthy candidates so far. So that's a question I have to ask. These are these are the big points here uh, when you look at these games tonight. And so with that in mind, prediction time. I'm going to have Minnesota take a 2-1 lead over Memphis. Anthony Edwards is going to have a big game in his first playoff game at home. I think it will definitely fire up some of the role players who always historically play well at home, and that will help Minnesota to do just enough to get the win in a tight one. Dallas and Utah, uh, Utah's going to smack back. I think they take it from Dallas, and I don't think it's particularly close, but we'll see. And then Denver and Golden State. I'm going Golden State taking out the 3-0 on Denver. Denver walking off with more questions and answers, and the rest of us looking at a sweep by the end of the week. But that's all I got for y'all here on Round Ball Ramble. I do appreciate y'all rocking with me. Definitely make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Again, Sports Ethos presentation, y'all. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Check out that Sports Ethos Fantasy BK. Appreciate that. It would be at Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter. Much love if you do. And then one more thing, y'all. One more thing. We still use hoop ball for our codes this year. Because, you know, the sports ethos change happened during the year. But if you want to go to Manscaped right now, score some pretty decent swag. I'm being funny. I I, I think it's very good swag. I just don't want to call my personal products, you know, amazing. But it's pretty good, right? Anyway, 
you want to get a nice code on some great items, use the coupon code HOOPBALL20, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, HOOPBALL20 at Manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also, please check out my pals, our pals, Sports Ethos, at mybookie.ag. Use the code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. Appreciate y'all once again. Enjoy this lovely Thursday. We are almost at the end of the week. Get ready to relax, to celebrate, because we did it again, y'all. We almost did it again. Until tomorrow, y'all, I am Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I will talk to y'all tomorrow. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.